0: This is Clean Tech Talk, Clean Technica's podcast series interviewing clean tech leaders from around the world. This episode is being sponsored by Pono Home.
1: So, you know, the last article I wrote on the Republican positions, I think the title was, uh Republicans have to accept climate change or they'll lose the presidency. Um But the most, the study I read after that was interesting. Somebody pointed to me was that unless they have a, an equally hard line in terms of of dealing with it, they're going to lose, still lose votes. And we saw that in, you know, one of the uh, case studies that was pulled out was Germany where the parties with better climate proposals, won more votes, everybody was accepting it, but the degree of certainty was there. Um, yeah, I, seen
0: seen, I, I had never heard about this. This is a really fascinating uh thing that you pointed out with and, yeah. and also i mean it's you see it in action with the with the candidates now now I think we this is a perfect segue into the candidates. You see you know but Bi- yeah. the kind of the situation of Biden being on the right side of issues but just not very you know far uh progressive and then you've got the others that are obviously rising and rising and rising to his detriment who are much stronger progressives like warren um especially. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Now, I, when I was when I when I look at climate solutions, I, I look at them from a variety of different perspectives. And so, this is a lens I brought to the candidates. One is, you know, the electability. Will they draw the independence over? Will they motivate people to go to the to the um, electoral office and vote? You know, um, do will they get you know bums out of couches uh, out from in front of their playstations and to the polling stations? Um, that's one factor. Will they draw the independence? That's another factor. Will they motivate the base? That's another factor. Um, As I looked across the plans, the other thing I said was, do they actually cover stuff? For the United States especially, typically I say there's four chunks, but the United States, there's five chunks. I say there's uh, energy generation, However, we generate electricity. That's a big chunk of the problem. And I, you know, you and I have spent a lot of time on that over the years, talking about wind and solar and pumped hydro and, you know, passive you know, hydro batteries and stuff like that. All the solutions that we know about. We, we you know, you publish a lot of stuff about battery technology through Clean Technica. The next big thing is transportation. You've got to electrify all of that. Um, we, we read about, a, about that a little bit, you know. Once <laughs> or twice every two minutes. The
0: funny thing is I almost, when I was director of the site and we started writing about electric vehicles, like electric vehicles, I was almost like, I don't know if we should really be writing about this. they not our, you know, but this is how things happen over and over. But uh, yeah, anyway, so we've got those. We cover that a lot because it's a fun consumer topic, you know.
1: Well, everybody cares, especially because it's a, a more, well, it's a gut global coverage, clean technica based upon the polling that I was doing around different topic uh, surveys. It was, a, it was a lot of United States readership and United States love affair with automobiles is.
0: And a lot of the California, About half of our readership is like California. I mean, yeah, a it's, lot a of car- our readership it's in California area. Which-
1: it's car country. People love electric cars. Um, which is a differentiator in the, in the plans, which is very interesting as well. So we've got transportation. I have to electrify there's three to 4% that goes biofuels, long range shipping um, or uh, passenger airplanes that are longer distance. Short haul is going to go electric. Um, and Mark, sorry, Jed Jacobson and I have actually had a, you know, not an argument. We just disagree a bit on this. Um, I think it's going to go biofuels. He thinks it's going to go hydrogen for those things because he's, strongly opposed to any pollution emissions. Biofuels do not eliminate the pollution emissions um, as much. They only eliminate the CO2 emissions. That's a fair statement. I I think that there's a reasonable line in there to be drawn and there'll be a mix that that goes forward. Um, Then we get into um, manufacturing and industry, where include buildings. So you've got to fix concrete and, you know, uh, the United States is actually pretty good on steel. More than 70% of your steel comes from electric mini milling of scrap metal. And so 70% is already electric fed mini mills reusing and recycling materials. That's not true globally. Globally, it's a very different perspective. A lot of the steel out of China is still meteorological coal and uh, iron ore turning into new raw steel. But in the United States, the majority is actually scrap metal going through electric mini mills. Yeah,
0: they they confiscate a lot of guns in the police force that turns into scrap metal. This is actually, actually I don't know what percentage it is, but you see stories here like every year or something about uh, guns getting turned into metal for cars or whatever. Uh, and also, I guess, a lot of cars. We go through a lot of cars in the US.
1: Really? <laughs> Back to the cars. Last chunk, for most places is land use. It's like agriculture, high tillage agriculture releases a lot of carbon. It disrupts the um, fungi uh, glomalin protein pathway to long-term carbon sequestration through soil sequestration pathways. Um, and, you know, deforestation is a problem. So you can solve, you've got to have those four big chunks. You've got to have electrical generation, transportation, industry, and land use. And then there's the, the problem in the United States is the United States military. The United States military is uh, as big as the next seven militaries combined. Uh, many external analysts believe that it is um, the single largest consumer of fossil fuels and the largest emitter of CO2 in the world as an organization. Um, but we don't know because when the Kyoto Protocol was agreed to, um, the United States required that the Kyoto Protocol not include military emissions. And when the Paris Accord was agreed to, the Paris Accord does include military emissions. And Obama signed off on that. But when it was brought back, the election changed. Trump t- signs it up. So we still don't know what the actual emissions of the United States military are. So when I was looking at all these plans, I was looking at these five big chunks. They had to have credible statements about each of them. Now, the next thing is um, I didn't look at all the candidates. You know, I, I, oh, they're, I
0: think they're dropping out every other, every other day now one's gone. I mean, there's basically, a, you know, there's a, there's a couple of few likely, you know, potential candidates. There's a handful of others that are, you know, their fans are convinced that they're going to. Rise
1: to the top. Um, Do you want to talk about the Yang Gang at Clean Technica? There's the Come Yang on. gang.
0: There's the, Buttig- <laughs> the Buttigieg gang. You know, I don't. I don't think anyone says they're in the Buttigieg gang, but you know, there's there's certain fans of, of Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, Buttigieg, uh, Yang, who who think they have they have. They're just you know waiting for that moment. Um, and you know, the ones like Yang who have been rising at least have some momentum to to uh, to, to to support that uh, that argument. But um, But yeah, so I don't know. You you want to kind of at the top and see? Yeah, yeah. So what I did is I
1: looked at the top four realistic candidates. I looked at uh, Biden, uh, Warren, Sanders, and Harris. They were polling the best. They were the most likely when I started this process. And then I looked at Yang because Yang is an interesting outlier. And he has a, you know, I'd spent a bunch of time – uh, published a big assessment of his universal basic income plan for, uh, through you, based upon you know you three years ago having said Mike this Elon Musk likes basic income I I don't think anybody else could possibly do it any justice Can you go and figure out what the heck it is and come back with something
0: I thought you had co- I thought you had uh, written about it or explored it before or something and you you said oh I see you know we maybe published that Elon was proposing I was like oh I've done some stuff on that you want me to do a piece on it I was like oh yeah for sure I don't know how (laughs) but definitely it was like you were the the expert on that you know years ago before Yang came along but uh, but he's he's interesting in that respect he's also interesting you know I think it's still a wild card when you get further into the like the the process (laughs) You know how many people will vote for someone because he's going to give you a thousand dollars? I mean, this is, I think, why the media and other politicians don't like sort of block him out because they don't see it as serious. They see it as a gimmick, like, oh, he's just trying to buy votes. I don't think a lot of them understand the the issues, the the universal no. why universal basic income is a big deal. You know, I, I think Yang is doing a great job bringing awareness to the issue. It's also a wild card how the voters are going to respond when they hear about him more and they hear about his, his plan to give them a thousand dollars.
1: Well, it's, it's interesting because it it's, the way I'll describe it is you, you know, you start with the same facts and then you have different solutions and they're neither better nor worse, but you have to start with the same facts and argue about the better solutions. Now green new deal um, is agrees with the same facts as Yang does. Yang is arguably the only one who's not a Green New Deal guy. Um, Now, Green New Deal um, has some of the same intellectual primogenitors as what what was known as the Leap Manifesto in Canada. The Leap Manifesto was, you know, I wrote about it for Clean Technica, I think, five years ago or something. Um, A bunch of, you know, very progressive people got together in a a space uh, led by... Um, Abby Lewis and um, Naomi Klein
0: Klein?
1: um, were participated in this process and they threw out a big net of uh, related to this. And there's a lot of injustice politics that got inserted into the, um, uh, into the leap manifesto. Um, And there was no, ...historical antecedent to hang that off of. It just looked like an unusual set of things about jobs and First Nations rights, and um, people of color having had a broad deal in terms of resource extraction, pollution, without it having a coherent framework to explain why all those things were in the same place. But that informed the people who created the Green New Deal. The Green New Deal is actually a really interesting thing from the United States perspective because the New Deal, that series of broad reaching transformations of the way that jobs were viewed and the way that industry operated and the way that uh, the government uh, intervened in the economy, drew the United States out of the Great Depression in the 1930s and were fundamental to it being able to be a manufacturing and military Goliath in World War II um, and have that boom of economic prosperity that's turned it into the biggest economy in the world. The New Deal is the fundamental bones of the Green New Deal. And there is a historical antecedent in the United States that doesn't exist in Canada. So, so what's I mean,
0: very positive sentiment. This is something you learn about in, in, uh, I don't know what, what middle school, high school, I'm not sure now, but, uh, you learn about it in a very, you know, it's got a very positive connotation for like, I would think almost everyone, you know? Yeah. And so it's, 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 it's Apple hood and mother pie. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> oh, wait, I don't have Apple hood, but, uh, <laughs> um, the, The point there though is that it's a very saleable construct in some ways. And so the Republicans are taking a very interesting approach of attacking something that actually has that very positive branding. But back to the Yang perspective versus the Green New Deal perspective. They agree with the fundamentals. Things aren't right for the average American worker anymore. Things have to change somehow. Um, They have different prescriptions. The Green New Deal is more of a um, a standard democratic model um, from the progressive side of the Democrats, focused on retraining, um, focused on uh, enabling arbitration uh, to have more effective stuff. Um, There's uh, hints of unionism in there. And these are all classical prescriptions for an approach to ensuring that labor works well. And they work incredibly well outside of the United States. If we to look at what the Green New Deal has in it, gee, that looks an awful like what Germany looks like. To, you know, point at another industrial powerhouse that's doing just fine, thank you very much. You know, it has, um, you know, when we, when we look at other... Nordic nations. They're very- this is
0: always the fascinating thing because, from my perspective, this is one of the easiest and best arguments for, for the critics of it. You know, uh, you know, Scandinavia has it, Germany has it. They do great. They're great countries. On the flip side, the people who—that's a very persuasive argument for—are the people who support it, right? And I wonder yeah. how many people who don't support it inherently really get that message and how much they or how much they think oh germany is a sh- europe's a shit show you know like because they get that kind of message
1: <coughs> yep i write about this all the time the, yeah, the, it's a, it's the demonization really of like, germany
0: is I quite mean, amazing but even so it's like it's yeah. got to de- it's got to register for people that if it works well in sweden norway netherlands germany you know that that this works that this is not a threat to their society but anyway anyway so so this so you know you you have basically normal historical democratic politicians building on democratic policies for this green new deal for for, it's getting stronger and then you have yang which is an outlier yeah what's what's what he's
1: so yang's model is i mean instead of um labor arbitration instead of Uh, protecting the workers instead of a viable minimum wage. His model is the basic income, his freedom dividend, also incredibly well branded from an American perspective. It's a freedom dividend. It's not freedom fries. It's a freedom dividend. We are free. Therefore you get money. And he's going to, you know, he's going to tax the entities, which are going to continue to make profits as labor diminishes as a proportion of productivity. You know, if we think about it, go back to the turn of the century, the turn of the 20th century, um, there was industrialization, but still 95% of the people were involved in um, agriculture. You know, the, it's, it was incredibly labor intensive just to maintain our society. And most of the cash flow and the revenue models were coming from rural areas and resource extraction. Now... Um, as we fast forward to 2019, most of our money comes from knowledge workers in, and finance in urban centers. Um, most of the rural jobs are automated. Um, mining, you know, uh, just take coal as an example. You know, this is an often told story, but I'll, also I'll try and tell it quickly. Uh, there were 750,000 people employed in the coal mining industry in the Appalachians alone in 1900. Now there are 60,000 in the entirety of the United States between the Western and Eastern coal basins. And the United States pulls more coal out of the ground and ships it than they did when there were 750,000 people involved in the industry. This is not a case of the industry diminishing. It's a case of labor diminishing. Similarly, if we look at manufacturing, the United States still ships more manufactured goods than it ever did before but it just has fewer and fewer people involved in that automation. Back to cars briefly, Uh, GM is going through a labor strike right now over this exact problem. They're transforming to new electric cars, but new electric cars are much easier to assemble with robots. 11,000 versus 30,000 components, many fewer moving parts, um, much simpler, to construct many fewer people needed to build them and then many fewer pe- uh, people needed to test them as well because quality control on electric cars is much simpler as well <coughs> get rid of two-thirds of the parts g stuff gets easier
0: and no need for the emissions right you know testing and all of that.
1: <coughs> yeah so you start looking at this and you know this is actually one of the big issues on GM's labor negotiations right now is this transformation. There's no room, there's no work for the people. You know, up in Canada in GM in Ontario, they shut down their plant or they're shutting down their plant where they're, you know, building some leftover cars. um, And they promised to get people jobs in their service centers. I said, well, we got lots of jobs. We can't get, mechanics in our service centers, in our dealerships. So you can take those jobs. And so what you do is you tell people who live in Oshawa, which is kind of the Detroit of Canada. And you say, okay, you've got these jobs where you've been going to the same place and working with the same people for 20 years, making really good money. But I have this job, 800 kilometers or, you know, 500 miles away um, in a small town that has a dealership called Sault St. Marie. Just, would you like that job? Uh, It doesn't pay as well. And uh, none of the people you worked with are going to be there. And uh, you won't be unionized anymore. And (laughs) move your family or move away from your family, one or the other. So it's not a compelling argument. So you have this problem now they saw the candidates solve this problem differently or are trying to solve for it differently. And Yang, Yang's fundamentally coming at it from a more modern perspective, the basic income perspective. He's saying, we're going through a period of rapid Kurzweilian change. Things are asymptotic to the accelerating change perspective. We can't try to protect everybody with large scale programs. We can't try to preserve jobs. You have to accept the rate of change of employment and optimize for that condition. And the basic income optimizes for rapid transformation of work conditions by giving everybody a basic $12,000 a year income. And that, you know that comes from the corporations continue to make the money. So we're gonna do a value added tax on the corporations and then they're gonna funnel that to everybody. The the math makes sense. It's not perfect, but it makes sense. Um, He also is talking about something very carefully in terms of his messaging around basic income, which he's saying, we're gonna get, we're gonna look for social programs that can be collapsed because we're spending a lot on social programs and this will help with that so we can get rid of some bureaucratic social programs. You know and start listening to this and going hmm, okay so who's going to benefit from this and how's it going this gets back to the messaging um, Yang's messaging is brilliant for a lot of rural people because he's saying the corporations are going to pay and you're going to get money and twelve thousand dollars a year if you live in kind of rural Ohio twelve thousand dollars a year goes a long long way like I, I live in Canada's equivalent of San Francisco, $12,000 just doesn't go that far. You know, so it's, it's not something which incents people in the very rich urban centers. It's something which incents people in rural areas more and differently. But it's also intelligently designed, and once again, rural areas trend more you know independent
0: yeah and i mean mean, there's already polling showing him doing quite well in an election against trump i i don't really understand i figure like almost nobody really knows him still so it's it's i'm not sure what i think of polling at this stage but he's not going to be
1: the candidate so it doesn't matter so i i'm I'm talking about him because he's interesting (laughs) possible no it isn't um so the um
0: I, I don't think it's I, I don't think it's gonna happen either but uh, but it would be interesting if he was making that case um, in a general election where rural rural voters would really have something to think about uh, but there's also the possibility that he could uh, be tapped as a as a you know cabinet potential cabinet member for the nominee or you know I could really be out there stumping lots of stuff so that could happen interesting <laughs> still to see what, what what happens with that but
1: uh, more, more to the point here is the green new deal is purported to be a climate plan, but the portions of the climate plan that deal with labor and work, Yang replaces with the basic income. Now then let's look at his climate plan separately from that. And his climate plan is got some really good stuff and a bunch of crap.
0: Yeah. so I think, we, I think that will be another episode. The, so we're getting into the, the solar engineering and geoengineering and the and yeah, other topics, uh, because but we're the one hour.
1: hour and a half, yeah, that's very true. So, so, we didn't actually get to the relative ranking of the democratic right, let's plans. Let's wrap up with that, or yeah, it's like let's talk about I the relative ranking. I love, yeah, this. I love your your,
0: uh, your original analysis on this kind of thing.
1: So, the um, as you kind of look across the five people I looked at, you know. Uh, the front runners, Biden and Warren, and the secondary runners, Sanders and Harris, and then the, you know, interesting also ran, Yang. Um, Yang doesn't have the worst plan from a climate perspective. He has the second worst plan. Um, and he only gets the second worst because he has a carbon tax, he has a, what's called a carbon fee and dividend, which is from another Republican founded um, organization. You know, yet another case where Yang is very carefully going after those independents. And in his case, he's saying the carbon fee and dividend, not a tax, doesn't go into general tax revenues, goes into the second bucket and gets dispersed to Americans. All right. And so that price on carbon turns into more money in people's pockets. You know, that's exactly what we're doing in Canada, by the way, but it's called a carbon tax, honestly, here. Um, you know, it's, it isn't not a tax, but it's, Tax is a four-letter word in the United States and among conservatives. And he's avoiding that. It's like his freedom dividend.
0: There's two X's, you know? Yeah. (laughs) We're not that good at spelling, so it turns into a four-letter word. But it's true. I mean, uh,
1: yeah. So the rest of his plan sucks. But then we look at uh, Biden, the front runner, and his transportation portion of his plan is really articulated and well thought through. Um, he doesn't have nearly enough money for it, but at least he's a great good. Transportation secretary, <laughs> or something. Yeah, he cares about this, and it's really good. And he's actually got a decent foreign policy component. He's got a really interesting um, piece where he's. Did you, did you actually manage to read all the like fourteen thousand words I wrote on this stuff, Zach?
0: No, uh, some of them I edited, some of them Derek edited, and I haven't got to you. <laughs> <I laughs>
1: but he's a, the summaries. But um, he's got a, you know, he's really looking at China and going belt and road, got to have a North American his general, belt.
0: His general strength, too, is I think would be focusing on foreign policy topics where he really ha- has great knowledge, experience, and he can make a case for it. He, he's struggling as a campaigner because he's a bit slower. He's not as progressive. He's not, he's really, he's, he's not the same Biden he was, I would say, you know, very clearly under Obama, where he had a little more spunk. And... um
1: I think honestly, he and Mitt Romney are him. hard to distinguish.
0: Yeah, it's hard. It's it's hard to find a spot, of a topic where he shines. And I think foreign matters is really one where he's where he stands out. As oh, I would really trust the U.S. under Biden because he knows the process, he's good at it, he's yep. got a great experience, he's on top of things. I think he should really focus on that. But it's interesting that that also comes out in his climate and energy.
1: Yeah, so Yang, you know, Yang's plan is better than Biden's. While being both are not good. Then we kind of get to the, the third runner, um, which is Sanders, surprisingly. I expected a lot more of his plan, but you know, clean technical vehicle riders should all love, or readers should all love Bernie because he wants to give like three trillion people, three trillion dollars to people to buy electric cars. You know, he doesn't mention, he barely mentions anything except electric, his entire transportation policy is electric cars. Now his electrical generation stuff, his goals for electrical generation are really good. His path to get there is really bad. I mean, it, it yeah, won't fly.
0: On that. Maybe, maybe it's been a couple of minutes t- teasing out why that. It, I mean, sure. He had a really good analysis. And I think, uh, I think this could apply not just to him, but it could, you know, this is going to be an important matter for whoever the nominee is, how yep. they're going to map that out, you know, because obviously their plans can can change as we go into the general.
1: Yeah. So everybody has to solve for the problem of what to do with labor laborers and stuff. Yang's got one solution, the Green New Deal Deal has another. But nobody else is saying nationalize a massive industry instead of infrastructure, except Sanders. He's basically saying he's going to turn the departments of energy that are currently, um, you know, regional uh, coordinative bodies, and he's going to fund them to build electrical generation of wind and solar dominantly, and is basically that means the Department of Energy is going to own all the electrical generation in the United States, and in twenty years we'll be giving away the electricity basically for free, as a federal utility, not a private utility, because um, he hates the utilities, he hates the profit taking of the utilities. He hates that um, local monopoly. Per- well, it's
0: and a weird semi-monopoly kind of situation yeah. with them where... But nationalizing
1: stuff is not going to fly with the American electorate. It's not part of your ethos. It's not part of your corporate, your, your perspective on how things work. So it's not a saleable thing. You know, it's, it's just too easy to attack. That is truly the only part of any of the plans that I saw that I considered radical. And he was actually going much farther than prosecuting or or diminishing oil companies. He was specifically going after persecution of oil companies and oil executives. So he's demonizing a business group who are doing legal business, no matter how much I disagree with that business, under, under the rule of law. And he's talking about explicitly chasing them down and punishing them and jailing them in a way that is populist. Um, So he's demonizing, he's going to gain the powers to nationalize all the electrical generation with an emergency powers declaration, which gives the president pretty much unprecedented powers. They're literally world war two level powers. For the American president, when uh, Trump was talking about giving himself those powers related to something uh, that everybody was like saying, well, that's a really bad idea because they're just too much for a president outside of really something awful. And that essentially...
0: and a lot of uh, a lot of journalist media uh, personalities they were they were questioning the, the nominees, trying to get them to say that they would do that with climate change, like, hey, and would would you do this with climate change? And they you know they waffle, they wouldn't commit to anything, so it's. Um it's another case where, yeah, where Sinners jumped in, sure, sure. I mean, I don't remember if he – I don't remember his response to that, but it basically his policy was, yeah, we will, you know, I
1: will. Oh, yeah, it's written down. He's yeah. he's published this in his formal plan. So let me get to the second best piece, and then we'll close off with the last one, you know. Um, but the second best is Warren.
0: And I would just, you know, before we get into that, I would just say – I thought early on it was going to be really hard for voters to, to to sort of separate Warren from Sanders, and to I, I thought they were going to continue to split the progressive vote too much, and that um, they wouldn't be able to distinguish themselves from one another enough to like to to pull away from the other one, and. Uh, I, that seems like, um, it seems like Warren really has been able to do that recently. She's really, she's really like st- sort of taken more and more um, of that pie and then, and, and built momentum. And I think has given people a kind of sense of, yeah, she's going to be a strong progressive, but she's going to be for the market. She starts off a lot of answers like, I'm for markets. I love market. You know, great, you know, yep. for markets, for capital markets, for free market. But we have to make sure the, the rules are, are are in place and being respected, that kind of thing. And uh, I think that's really ended up being a very clear distinction for people. I mean, people like me, I would say, even who who want to see strong progressive change, but, but, you know, nervous about a dramatic radical approach or even just nervous that, you know, that dramatic radical approach is not going to win in a general uh, election. But, um,
1: yeah, I know she's, she's, you know, I, I describe her as wonky because she's, but this gets back to what are you going to do? Like Yang has no idea how he's going to implement any of his ideas. He has zero idea of federal governance. He has zero idea of the powers of the president. He has zero ideas of how to work with Congress. And he has zero idea of the existing programs and plans that he would leverage inside the United States. Uh, I'm just going to say he's ignorant on all those subjects. Some of this stuff may be appealing, but he has zero chance of getting any of it done if he took the presidency, because he doesn't even know what the president does and doesn't do. Sanders, at least, says, I'm going to really make the president a lot more powerful and I'm going to be the strong white guy in the middle. And I'm going to force these changes and I'm going to beat up the bad guys. He at least has a plan for his achievement of stuff, which I dislike. You've already got an authoritarian populist in the white, in the oval office. We don't need another one. Um, Warren, on the other hand, she understands fundamentally what the levers of power are, what the, Powers of the president are what the powers of Congress are, and how to which pieces she would pull, what levers she would pull in order to achieve the outcome she's talking about. She's talking I really about,
0: really, I really like that. I mean, I think that's um, she's brilliant, she's smart as hell, and she really, yeah. I think she's a there's a lot of senators who know a lot, but she's a senator who dives in so much, like at the, at the staff level. To really understand something, how it works, and how, and then solves a problem, sort of like Musk does, Elon Musk does on the you know the, the kind of uh, the manufacturing floor. She she's not like sitting up in her office waiting for the staff to tell her things. I think she's really. Um and that that's starting to show to more and more people, I think. And, and the way yeah. you presented it made me think of you know Sanders like wants to take a sledgehammer and just whack it, yep. <laughs> and Warren comes in and she's like, well, if we use a screwdriver here and a hammer here and some uh, put put some tax here, uh, tax like uh, pins, not the attack not the evil word, yep. <laughs> but. I, and I think, she, I think in the end, as you're saying, I think her plan ends up being more effective because it's more nuanced, more tailored to the, the levers of power, as you said, which is really, really yeah. important.
1: Now, the, the other things about, Warren, things about Warren is she doesn't have a foreign policy plan right now. So she needs to strengthen that. But she has a pretty good plan for the military. You know, so she knows what she's doing there more than... Anybody else, Sanders is the only other one who's really dealing with them. He's saying, well, we're spending $81 billion a year, I think is the number, on protecting oil preserves globally. That's going to go away eventually because over 10 years, we're going to transition away from oil. So we're going to stop spending that money. And that's not an unreasonable statement. Warren, on the other hand, is going to make every non-military forward base, every non-combat base in that set of infrastructure net zero. So military, that's your job going to help you do that but that's your target go All right? and that's a reasonable thing i, I used to be um canadian uh, military reserves I, I was in a well-regulated militia um an actual well-regulated militia um
0: eyes are wide open now you can't see this on the podcast i can <laughs> It was in a militia. This is going to be... We're going to have to have a headline. Mike Bernard was in a militia.
1: No, no. <laughs> a well-regulated militia. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, didn't you know? I, I actually am... Uh, I was a marksman with the rifle, pistol, submachine gun. I'm a qualified machine gunner on light and heavy machine guns. I was qualified on rocket launchers and grenades. I used to teach people rifle, as a rifle coach, I used to teach people to shoot with the Canadian military. I used to teach military maneuvers for infantry. If
0: if Trump does throw us into a civil war, I'm going to buy your plane ticket to Florida to help me out, you know? (laughs) Okay, so back to... Okay, yeah, so we have Warren, uh, do you want... Last one, Harris. Okay. Harris
1: plan... She's from California. (laughs) Uh, I I know, she's... She's not going to get the nom, but her plan rocks. But I mean, it doesn't rock. Be-
0: she's from California, so she's got a California. She's it's got- actually
1: less than that. It's it, so one thing she's got the best coverage of any of the plans. It's not perfect. She doesn't have a commitment to a carbon price. That's one of the big gaps in her plan. Can't get a perfect five unless you got a, unless you got you know something like Yang's carbon fee and dividend. Um, but she is the most statesmanlike in her plans of any of the candidates. It's not about her. She keeps saying, Governor X's plan that does this, we're gonna take it. Right now he's got a 2040, we're gonna make that 2030, but that's all we're gonna do to that, that works. She points at Warren's plan for inclusion of climate risk in SEC filings and prospectuses for Wall Street. And she says, Senator Warren's plan is the right plan for that, we're going to do that. She spreads the wealth, including Cory Booker, who you mentioned, who brought another bill forward. She is pointing to explicit legislation that she would put the Democratic machine, the Houses of Congress, and the weight of the presidency behind. And she is calling out allies across Congress who's, who've got the right plans. It's not, you don't have to, she's not saying, we'll draft legislation. She's saying, we've got legislation drafted. It makes sense. We're gonna change it in this way and that's what it's gonna do. And she calls out others constantly in terms of that. She is the most inclusive of them. And it's in some ways a pity that she's not gonna get the nomination. Um, The other thing that she's good at is in terms of prosecuting appropriately polluters as she did in uh, California. The difference between hers and Bernie's, because they both call out that same kind of thing, is that Bernie definitely goes over to demonization and persecution where she stays in the ballpark of appropriate prosecution of pollution.
0: Yeah, as she rightfully uh, often notes, she was the head head uh, prosecutor in California, uh, which is the second largest um, uh, position for that in the country behind the, the yeah. Department of Justice. So she, she basically Yeah. (laughs) As high as as you can go beyond becoming the the head of the department of justice or the president.
1: And I'll just wrap up because, you know, we're at the wrap up point. You know, there's a perfect plan in there. They've got all the pieces for a perfect democratic candidates plan. Yang's carbon fee and dividend, Biden's transportation plan, but with Harris's aggressive dates and the Christmas of execution, she's got about the levers to pull. Um, Harris's energy plan, with some inclusion of Sanders' goals, but not his methods. Um, Warren's SEC climate risk plan is bang on in terms of those types of things. Warren's land use is really very nice. She's got a real good sense of which agencies she would fund more and give more authority to, to extend what already works. Um, But Harris has got some excellent stuff there, because one of the differentiators is, Um, many of the plans say we're going to stop having new oil leases, oil and gas leases on federal lands. But Harris and uh, Sanders go further and said we're going to work to, you know, get rid of the existing leases. And that's an important thing. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. That's a big strong differentiator. Warren's military plan is good. Um, Biden's and Harris. I I didn't really, it's, it's interesting that Warren has a nothing burger for foreign policy, but Harris, who is a state prosecutor, actually has a pretty good foreign policy plan. Um, It's not as insightful, and it's differently insightful than Biden's, but Biden and Harris between them have an excellent foreign policy plan for climate.
0: I think one of the most fascinating things is going to be how these these evolve and how they meld together as the the candidates um, rise to the top. And uh, it'll be really I think hopefully useful uh, to keep pushing this series that we're doing and and trying to shape the the decisions because um, uh, we've been told for years that Congress people and their staffers read read us we've had uh, the Sanders Institute and his wife Jane Sanders retweet our articles before um, so we and uh, I mean, we, Gavin Newsom used to be a contributor on CleanTechnica. You know that? <laughs> he used to write for us, uh, Governor of California. But, uh, but I think, you know, if we keep pushing these out, we could be um, when it comes time or when, it, when time is right, uh, people could find, you know, find these and kind of and help, it could help these candidates or their staffers to form a good combined plan, you know, to go beyond. Yeah what they have. So hopefully we get that out there continually and get it in front of people. Any final words?
1: Yeah, just the last thing, Warren and Harris probably have the best industry manufacturing jobs plan. Yang's basic income is great to insert into the national discourse, but that's going to be a couple of administrations away before it's actually going to get, from a strategy perspective, the time to introduce it is good now, but it's going to be a while before we'll get there. Um, And then the Harris and her statesman like pointing at other people's plans, um, along with Yang's pointing at specifically Republican oriented stuff. That is excellent and good stuff. And I I, honestly, one of the things I think every any whoever the successful candidate is, they got to get Yang in there to to help them understand how to appeal to independent voters.
0: (laughs) I mean, that's actually something I was (laughs) i'm happy he's been rising and i'm i'm really h- hopeful that he rises a bit more too where uh he could be for i mean some some of them already i mean so some of the top candidates may already be beyond to him but uh but it would be useful for for him to be involved in whoever is the final candidate's um, campaign strongly once once it gets there i'm a, a little concerned um that he has the kind of issue that Sanders has had in the past where his followers are so kind of, uh, tied to him only and sort of, uh, and, and there's so much messaging around being critical of the media or the democratic party that I'm afraid of, um, those independents and those, those followers just saying, I'm not gonna, I mean, I've even seen cases of it and, and sometimes, you know, I'm not going to go for anyone other than Yang yep. if he's not the
1: nominee and, uh, I think it's, it's, it's well, let's take the, let's pull the Bernie or bust thing just, just briefly as a closing line. So I've been spending a lot of time on this and looking at um, the polling such as it exists. Uh, The best polling that I saw indicated that in the 2016 election, 8% of Bernie Sanders voters voted for Donald Trump and a bunch more stayed home. Um, so right now with the heart attack and other things, my assumption is that Sanders will be dropping out in the next couple or three months. Um, and then the question is, where do those voters go? Um, so a
0: lot of responsibility on him to really push them. I mean, he did a bit at the end, but he waited quite a while last time. And I I mean, he really, he, and also, and I mean, very much so the same for Yang, like,
1: well, the 24%, 24% of, of Sanders voters, won't vote for Warren. 21%, I believe, wouldn't vote for Buttigieg. So he's a populist authoritarian. And my take is that a bunch of his supporters are old white guys, old straight white guys um, who want change. So my take is probably 70% would go to, uh, to Warren because of the progressive stuff. Another 20% would go to Biden, because he's a straight white male. And the remainder would go to Trump. You know, so I, I don't, I expected a lot more of a Sanders plan than I actually saw. I didn't like the authoritarian populism. And frankly, I'm underimpressed. the more I look at it.
0: Yeah, no, I was, I was also surprised. Um, but you know, that sort of has been part of the process of too, uh, clarifying for me, Warren versus Sanders, uh, versus others. Uh, and I think, I think, I think Warren's got it now. Um, I think she's proven to progressives that she's the most, she can, she's extremely progressive, extremely focused on being effective. And then on the other side, I think she's really gotten better at messaging. That was my concern early on that she, uh, she's really great at messaging and communications with progressives, but, um, I was concerned about how she would, uh, come across to Republicans and independents.
1: And, uh, I okay. You're going to force me to go into one more thing here, Zach really strongly
0: improved there and has just gotten better and better and better. And I think she's, uh, she's already ready to, to, to tear take down Trump in the general. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I would put my money on her at this point. Yeah.
1: So you- last thing I'm going to talk about then, cause you're, you're forcing me into it here, Matt um, the manifesto project, the manifesto project is a research, Effort that's going against um, Western democracies' campaign platforms from all parties for the past 20 years or so, 30 years. So you can go back to the Clinton administration stuff. You can go through the Obama, um, you know, administration, uh, the Bush administration into the current races up till 2016. And what they do is they rate each campaign promise um, about where it falls upon an authoritarian versus non-authoritarian, uh, uh, socially versus socially liberal versus conservative and um, uh, economically liberal versus conservative uh, things, and come up with a ranking for that policy, and then they aggregate that, and then they say this platform is far right, mid right, centrist, center left. Now, if we look at the 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 platform from well, no one's gonna be able to see this because it's a podcast but if, if you have a continuum the republican party is way out on the far right with um parties that were formed from explicitly racist groups and um terrorist groups it's like out there clustered with some by european standards and canadian standards pretty scary groups like our 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 Canadian conservatives are pretty conservative, but they're not nearly as far out as the Republicans. Um, What was really interesting to me, though, was when Obama, there was a a big curve from Clinton, the first Clinton years through the Obama years to the Clinton 2016 campaign. And what we saw was that Obama's first campaign in 2008 was as far right as the Democratic Party ever got in terms of its campaign platform. It was very far right. It was about as far right as the Canadian Conservatives are a little bit further. Um, And you have to remember that, you know, in those years, he hadn't really, he and Hillary Clinton hadn't accepted gay marriage. They were still on the... Um, you know, civil union kind of track and they're bit, you can see the squeamishness when they talked about it. And that's Biden's era. Biden is that far-right guy. That's why I said he's indistinguishable for Romney. But in 2012, Obama and Biden tacked back a bit. Pack, they're still fairly far-right, but they're center-right, arguably, by global Western democracy standards. But then in 2016, And this is really interesting for a specific reason, because I believe Sanders did a good job in terms of drawing Clinton to the left. So the actual campaign was just to the left of the median of Western democracies from a campaign platform perspective. And Clinton won the popular vote by 2.7 million votes in that. I see no evidence the 2018 midterms that the, Democratic Party tacked right, right, and they won the popular vote in the midterms by 9.7 million. Um, I think, yeah, I think Warren is going to get it. Yeah, I think Warren is going to get it. And Warren is going to draw out all those voters. I think that's what the I think that's where the vast majority of Americans want to be
0: yeah I, I very much agree. great ending great ending point there. Uh, so thank you, Mike. Cheers.
1: Good to see you again.
0: Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix.
1: If you would like to sponsor our podcast, drop us a note. We are looking for more clean tech leaders to highlight on a regular basis as we fund a clean tech talk.